If due to the graphic nature of this content, listener discretion is advised. We're still continuing the case of Dean Allen Coral, and where we left off was uh, the participation of Elmer Wayne Henley. So where we leave off is that he actually was one of the um, participants of the thing. So, what's up? So I'm at work, guys. Um, like we had said in a previous one, um, we do get interruptions throughout throughout the whole thing. So um, pardon interruptions. You're gonna hear some weird shit, people talking, whatnot. I'm just gonna keep rolling with it because, hey, that's life, right? In the winter of 1971, Brooks introduced Hanley to Coral. Henley was likely lured to Coral's address as an intended victim. However, Dean evidently decided to keep the youth around because he decided he'd be, make a good accomplice. Offered him the same fee as he did Brooks, the same fee of $200 for any boy he could lure to his apartment. Informing Henley that he was involved in a white slavery ring operating from Dallas. So he that was one of the ruses he had played with, um, with Henley, saying that he was going to um um you know he was going to uh sell into a sex slavery and um yeah so i'm just going to read a little thing that i found on murderpedia So let me get let me remind you guys, Murderpedia is like Wikipedia for serial killers. I've been reading off of Wikipedia. Um, this is um, one of the things. Hold on. Mm-hmm. All right, guys. Sorry, I'm gonna pause. I'm trying to find this one's passage <laughs> wow i can't find it guys oh no all right i'm back to wherever um henley later stated that for several months him and he ignored dean's offer however in early 72 he decided to accept it because his family were in dire financial circumstances um, Henley then said the first abduction he participated in occurred um, during the time Dean resided on 925 Schuller Street and the address that he moved to on February 72. Brooks otherwise claimed that uh, Henley became involved in one of the abductions while Coral resided at the address he had occupied immediately prior to Schuller Street, which means he lied about when he started joining in on these sadistic um, abductions and murders. If Henley's statement is to be believed, the victim was abducted from the Heights in early February or early March. In the statement Henley gave to police following the arrest, uh, the youth stated that he and Coral picked up a boy at the corner of 11th and Stidwood, lured him to Coral's home on the promise of smoking a marijuana with the pair. At Coral's residence, using the ruse that he and Coral had prepared, Henley offered his... uh, Gave, uh, he cuffed his own hands behind his back, freed himself with the key hidden in his back pocket, then duped the youth in donning the handcuffs before like, observing Coral bind and gag him. Henley then left the youth alone with Coral, believing that he was to be sold in a sex slavering. I, the identity of the first victim Henley assisted in abducting remains unknown. So like I said, guys, um, 
with modern technology now, modern DNA testing and all that, they actually were able to identify some of the, uh, not all, like not all of the remaining unidentified victims, but I think up, I think up to five. There's one that was not identified. They're still looking for uh, possible living relatives of the said youth that has not been identified. I will get back. I will get to that when it comes to. Um, one month later, on March 24, 1972, Henley and Brooks Coral encountered an 18-year-old acquaintance of Henley's named Frank Aguirre, leaving a restaurant on Yale Street where the youth worked. Henley called Aguirre over to Coral's van and invited the youth to drink beer and smoke marijuana with the trio at Coral's apartment. Aguirre agreed and followed the trio to Coral's home in his Rambler. So this is actually a pattern they would do. They would, like, lure them with the promises of alcohol and marijuana. Back in the day, weed was was very illegal and uh, they would go ahead and you know try to you know get the party started that way and when the youth was incapacitated that's when they would make their move pounce on them and tie them up and gag them and coral would have his way with them and then end up you know either killing them by strangulation or shooting them in the head so okay Aguirre smoked marijuana with the trio before picking up a pair of handcuffs Coral had left on the table. In response, he pounced on Aguirre, pushed him under the table, cuffed his hands behind his back. Henley later claimed that he had not known of Coral's true intentions toward Aguirre when he had persuaded his friend to accompany him to Coral's home in the 2010 interview. He claimed he had attempted to persuade Coral not to assault and kill Aguirre once Coral and Brooks had bound and gagged the youth. However, Coral refused, informing Henley that he had raped, tortured, and killed the previous victim he had assisted in abducting, and that he had intended to do the same with Aguirre. Henley subsequently assisted Coral and and Brooks in hiding or burying Aguirre's body at the High Island Beach. So, um, he actually led both of them, David uh, Owen Brooks and uh, Elmer Wayne Henley, both you know, lured their own friends to be murdered by Coral because Coral was giving them money for each boy. And despite the revelations that Coral was in reality killing the boys he and Brooks assisted in abducting, Henley nonetheless became an active participant in the abductions and murders. One month later, on April 20th, he assisted Coral and Brooks in the abduction of another youth, a 17-year-old named Mark Scott, he was who was well known to both Henley and Brooks, so he there was there were he was a good friend of those apparently, he was a good friend of them both. So it was grabbed by force, who fought furiously against the attempts by Coral to restrain him, even attempting to stab it to stab his attackers with a knife. However, Scott saw Henley pointing a pistol towards him, and according to Brooks, Scott just gave up. Um, I think once he saw the gun, he just said, "Fuck it, you know, I'm done." I think he already knew what was coming towards him. So, unfortunately, he did meet the same fate as Aguirre. He was raped, tortured, and strangled. And a bit, and he was also buried at the High Island Beach. Brooks stated Henley was especially sadistic uh, in his participation in the murders committed at Shuler Street. Before Coral vacated the address on June 26th, Henley assisted Coral and Brooks in the abduction and murder of two youths named Billy Bulch and Johnny Delorme. 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 I want to say Delorme. Delorme. And, um, pardon me for messing that up. I'm trying to, like, you know, read fast. 
In Brooke's confession, he stated that both youths were tied to Coral's bed and uh, after their torture and rape, Henley manually strangled Bolch and then shouted, Hey, Johnny, and shot Delome in the forehead. With the bullet exiting that through the youth's ear, Delome then pleaded with Henley, Wayne, please don't, before he was strangled. Both youths were both buried at the Highland Beach. So... There were several places that they hid the bodies in the rented boathouse um, by the lakeside, at, by the log cabin that um, Coral's family owned, um, Lake Sam Rayburn, and at High Island Beach. So, during the time Coral resided at Schiller Street, the trio then lured a 19-year-old named Billy Riddinger to the house. Riddinger was... Tied to the plywood board, tortured and abused by Coral, Brooks later claimed that he persuaded Coral to allow Riddinger to be released and the youth was allowed to leave the residence. So, that was one of the ones that was actually saved by Brooks. Um, on an occasion during the time Coral resided at Schuler Street, Henley knocked Brooks unconscious as he entered from the house. Coral then tied Brooks to his bed and assaulted the youth repeatedly before releasing him. Despite the assault, Brooks continued to assist Coral in the abduction of the victims. So because of him begging for that other kid to live, Brooks was punished by being raped by Coral. Also being knocked out by Henley is kind of like a fucked up thing, you know. After vacating Shuler Street residence, Coral moved to an apartment on Westcott Towers, where in the summer of 72, he was known to have killed two further victims. Um, the first of these victims, 17-year-old Stephen Sickman, was last seen leaving a party held in the Heights shortly before midnight on July 19th. The youth was savagely bludgeoned about the chest with a blunt instrument before being strangled and buried in the boat shed. Approximately one month later, on or about August 21st, a 19-year-old named Roy Bunton was abducted while walking to his job as an assistant in Houston shoe store. Bunton was gagged with a section of Turkish towel and his mouth bound with adhesive tape. He was shot twice in the head and buried in the boat shed. Neither youth was named by Brooks or Henley as being a victim of Coral. Both youths were identified as victims in 2011. So this is what I'm talking about with the updated DNA testing. Some of the boys were not identified. And then with the modern testing, they were later identified through DNA samples from um, relatives that are still living and, you know, people that are in the database. On October 2nd, 1972, Henley and Brooks encountered two Heights teenagers named Wally J. Seminole and Richard Hembry. Walking to Hembry's home, Seminole and Hembry were enticed into Brooks' Corvette and driven to Coral's Westcott Towers apartment. That evening, Seminole was known to have phoned his mother home to have shouted the word Mama into the receiver before the connection was terminated. The following morning, Hembry was accidentally shot in the mouth by Henley, with the bullet exiting through the neck. Several hours, both youths were strangled to death, subsequently buried in a common grave inside the boat shed, directly above the bodies of James Glass and Danny Yates. So they were already stacking bodies because they were running out of room, apparently. Um... Sometime the following month, 18-year-old Oak Forest youth known to both Coral and Henley named Willard Branch disappeared while hitchhiking from Mount Pleasant to Houston. He was gagged and emasculated body 
his, well, his gagged and emasculated body was buried in a boat shed on November 15th, 19-year-old Heights. 19-year-old Heights youth named Richard Kempner disappeared on his way to a phone booth. Kempner was strangled and buried at High Island Beach. Altogether, at least 10 teenagers between the ages of 13 and 19 were murdered between February and November of 1972, five of whom were buried at High Island Beach and the five inside the boat shed. On January 20th, 1973, Coral moved to an address on Wirt Road and Spring Branch, District of Houston. Within two weeks of moving to this address, he had killed 17-year-old Joseph Lyles. Lyles was known to both Coral and Brooks, and he had lived on Anton Drive, the same street upon which Brooks resided on, in 73. On March 7th, Coral vacated his Wirt Road apartment and moved to 2020 Lamar Drive, and an address his father had vacated in Pasadena. So he actually moved into an old house where his father lived. No known victims were killed between February 1st and June between yeah between February and June in '73, Coral was known to have suffered uh, many um, high had suffered from a hydrocell. So the hydrocell guys is a um, serious uh, as the serous fluid and um, body um, body cavity is an accumulate that's an uh, accumulation. So what that is, guys, is actually a. Uh, Let's see. It's not cancer. It's more like an infection and a chronic infection of the testicles. So a hydrocell testy as an accumulation of fluids around the testicle, which is caused by um, petroneum wrapped around the testicle called um, tunica van vaginalis. Vaginalis. <laughs> vaginalis. I can't pronounce that fucking word to save my life, guys. Fucking A. Provided there is no hernia present, it goes away without treatment within the first year. So, what can cause that is excessive production of fluid, fluid within the sac um, through defective absorption of fluid by interference of lymphatic drainage of scrotal structures, uh, connection with the hernia of uh, paternal a cavity in a conjugal variety, which presents a yeah, so there's a lot of like though there's like kind of causes to that. Um, what it could turn into is um, testicular cancer, if not treated. It could be treated, but you know, depending on the if they take a biopsy of that or a CT scan of that. It becomes something else. Sorry, guys. Sorry. <laughs> All right, back to where we were at. He had a hydrocell because, yeah. And it was probably painful to the point where he couldn't do anything anyway, so... Um, people were safe between, the, uh, between February and June, and June 4th. But in early 73, um, contributed to the uh, inactivity in addition around the time of Lyle's murder, Henley had temporarily moved away to Mount Pleasant in an, ap an apparent effort to distance himself from Coral. These facts may account for the, the sudden lull in killings. So because of that, um, 
you know, lack of activity, Helen decided to move away for a while. Nonetheless, from June, Coral's rate of killings increased dramatically. Both Henley and Brooks later testified to the increase in the level of brutality of the murders committed while Coral resided at Lamar Drive. Henley later then compared the acceleration in the frequency of killings and the increase in the brutality exhibited by Coral towards his victims to being like a bloodlust, adding that he and Brooks were ex- instinctively known to when Coral was to announce that he needed to do a new boy due to the fact that he would appear restless, smoking cigarettes, and making reflex movements. On June 4th, Henley and Coral abducted 15-year-old William Ray Lawrence. The youth was last seen alive by his father on 31st Street. After three days of abuse and torture, Lawrence was strangled before being buried. Uh, bur- buried, <laughs> buried. Sorry, guys, I cannot talk right to save my life. Um, at Lake Sam Rayburn. Less than two weeks later, 20-year-old Raymond Stanley Blackburn was abducted, strangled, and buried at Lake Sam Rayburn. On July 6th, they began, uh, Henley began attending classes at uh, co- the coach's driving school in Bel Air, where he became acquainted with 15-year-old Homer Lewis Garcia. The following day, Garcia phoned his mother to say he was spending the night with a friend. He was shot and left to bleed to death in the coral's bathtub before he was buried at Lake Sam Rayburn. Five days later, 17-year-old John Sellers of Orange County was bound, shot to death, and buried at High Island Beach. In July 1973, after Brooks married his pregnant fiancée, Henley temporarily became coral's sole procurer of victims, assisting in the abduction and murder of three Heights youths between July 19th and 25th. Henley claimed that these three abductions were the only three that occurred after his becoming the only accomplice to Coral, in which Brooks was not a participant. One of these victims, 15-year-old Michael Bulch, the brother of previous victim Billy Bulch, was last seen by his family on July 19th on his way to get a haircut. He was strangled and buried at Lake Sam Rayburn. The other two victims, Charles Cobble and Marty Ray Jones, were abducted together on the afternoon of July 25th. Henley later, <coughs> later himself buried both youths' bodies in the boat shed. So, what we do know, children, is that he actually did kill a brother of a victim that he had murdered in previous years. And... The fact that Brooks had taken a pause because of him getting married and he and his uh, fiance was pregnant. So. On August 3rd, 1973, Coral killed his last victim, a 13-year-old boy from South Houston named James Stanton Jamala. Jamala was abducted by Brooks and Coral while riding his bike in Pasadena and driven to Lamar Drive upon the pretense of collecting empty, empty glass bottles to resell. So, back then, you could, like, recycling was big. Like, glass bottles were, you get a pretty penny for glass bottles and whatnot, cans. Um, at Coral's home, James was uh, tied to Coral's torture board, raped, tortured, and strangled with the cord before being buried in the boat shed. Brooks later described Jamela as a small, blonde boy for um, 
whom he bought a pizza in, whose company he had spent 45 minutes before the youth was attacked. So, even though Brooks and Brooks stopped, like, you know, procuring victims for a quarrel, he was actually still present around the murders. You know. Alright, guys. So, we're coming in close to Coral's death. For you, those of you guys who don't know, he was not killed in prison, or he did not die in prison, or by, or was, like, you know, executed. He was actually murdered by one of his accomplices. So, remember that guy, Frank Laguiri, guys? Um, something else is gonna happen, okay? So, um... 15-year-old Rhonda Louise Williams, guys. This is the name that's gonna stick with you for a minute. On the evening of uh, August 7th, 1973, Henley, aged then aged 17, um, invited 19-year-old Timothy Cordell Curley to attend a party at the Coral's Pasadena residence. Curley, who was a casual acquaintance of Coral's, who was intended to be the next victim, accepted the offer. Brooks was not present at the time. The youths both arrived to Carl's house where they had, they had snuffed, uh, sniffed um, paint fumes and drank alcohol until midnight before leaving the house to purchase sandwiches. Henley and Curly then drove back to Houston Heights and Curly had parked his vehicle close to Henley's home. Henley exited the vehicle and then hearing a commotion across the street emanating from the home of his 15-year-old friend, Rhonda Louise Williams, walked towards her home. Williams had been beaten by her drunken father that evening and accepted Henley's invitation to join himself and Curly at Coral's home. Williams climbed into the back seat of Curly's Volkswagen. The trio then drove to Coral's Pasadena residence. So, the thing with um, Rhonda, I'm just going to say this, guys. Frank O'Greary was with Rhonda Williams. That was his girlfriend before Frank O'Greary was murdered by... Um, Coral. So let me pull this up real quick. Um, the song cracks me up. <laughs> Alright. So Hold on, guys. I'm still trying to find my source. I have my notes, and then, yeah. Okay, so let me remind you guys. I said, remember Rhonda Williams? She was the fiance of Frank Aguirre. So, Rhonda was actually kind of seeing, um, was kind of seeing, uh, 
Henley at the time before, you know, like, this is why he felt bad and took her with him to the party. This is one of the other websites that I found regarding them. This is what leads up to um, Coral's death. So, um, this is actually from the Houston Press. Um, Alright, so I'm going to read you guys a passage from that. Actually, I read you this. So, approximately 3 a.m. at the morning of August 8th, um, Henley, Curly, and Williams, both all, they all three returned to Coral's house. Coral was furious that Henley had brought a girl to his home, telling him in private that he had ruined everything. Henley explained that Williams had argued with her father that evening and did not wish to return home. Coral then appeared to calm down and offered the trio beer and marijuana. The three teenagers began drinking and smoking, with Henley and Curly sniffing paint fumes as Coral watched them intently. After approximately two hours, Henley, Curly, and Williams each passed out. So, what they didn't say in the beginning was Henley was kind of seeing Williams because he felt bad for her for killing Aguirre. So, this is what they were saying on, like, on one of the other um, posts I found on the web. Like I said, it, we got to follow, like, follow each kind of like little lead or whatever. But it's kind of like, okay, I kind of get why he brought her to the, um, the party to the house. To the party house. So, Henley woke up to find himself lying on his stomach and Coral snapping handcuffs onto his wrist. His mouth had been taped shut and his ankles had been bound together. Curly and Williams laid beside Henley, securely bound with nylon rope, gagged, and with adhesive tape lying face down on the floor. Curly had been stripped naked. So, it's most likely Curly was probably already, you know, assaulted. Um... Noting that uh, Henley had woken, Coral removed the gag from his mouth. Henley protested in vain against Coral's action, whereupon Coral reiterated, reiterated, uh, reiterated, ah, fuck, I can't talk. Had um, reiterated, there you go, that he was angry with Henley for bringing a girl to his house and that he was going to kill all three after he assaulted and tortured Curly. So apparently he did not rape Curly yet, but he was about to. He said, man, you blew it bringing that girl before shouting, I'm going to kill you all, but first I'm going to have my fun. Then he repeated kicking Williams in the chest. He repeatedly kicked her in the chest. So this is actually what I'm going to read you guys, and this is from the Houston Press. Uh, the girl on the torture board, Rhonda Williams, begins about opening, uh, opens up about being attacked by Dean Coral. So she was actually interviewed by the Houston Press, and this is actually the, the article they had wrote about her. She wakes up to a sharp pain in her side, so it's someone kicking her, telling her to wake up, bitch. For a moment, she thinks it's her dad. Then she opens her eyes to see it's Dean Coral, the electrician who's renting this house in Pasadena. She looks over to see uh, her friend Wayne Henley handcuffed, feet bound, his mouth duct taped shut. He looks to the other side, there's boy Tim she hadn't met until the night before, when she escaped from her father's home in the Heights. He was tied and taped up too. 
Dean's berating her as she looks down her own body realizes it's also been tied. Dean never liked her, never liked any girls, but this is unexpected. Dean disappeared before she passed out, retreated to his bedroom, saying something about having to work in the morning. The three plopped down on the living room carpet and not and got to feeling good. Wayne and Tim Tim were helping acrylic paint from a bag and all three shared shots of Wayne's dad's moonshine. Um she had taken a puff of a joint, and when one of them passed her way, and when the lights went out, Dean walks over to Wayne, slips his arms under the teenager's shoulders, and carries him to the kitchen. Dean must have taken off um, the tape of Wayne's mouth because um, all she hears is two voices. So she actually was hearing people talk. Um. So. She could recall what was happening to her when that night of that night when Coral was about to kill her, um, Tim and uh, and Wayne, but apparently Wayne was obviously let go. So let's see. Okay. Before lifting Henley to his feet, dragging him into the kitchen and placing a twenty-two caliber against his, um, pistol against his stomach, threatening to shoot him, Henley claimed Coral, promising to participate in the torture and murder of both Williams and Curly if Coral released him after approximately 30 minutes of the discussion. Coral agreed and untied Henley. When carried Curly, then carried Curly, ah, then carried Curly, and Williams into his bedroom and tied him to opposite sides of the torture board. Torture board. Curly on his stomach and Williams on her back. So, Coral then handed Henley a hunting knife and ordered him to cut away Williams' clothes, insisting that he would rape and kill Curly, and Henley would do likewise to Williams. Henley began cutting away to Williams' clothes as Coral undressed and began to assault and torture Curly. Both Coralie and Williams had awakened by this point. Curly had been writhing and shouting at Williams. As Williams, whose gags Henley had been removed, lifted to her head and asked Henley, Is this for real? To which Henley answered yes. Williams asked, then asked um, Henley, Are you going to do anything about it? Henley then asked Coral whether he might take Williams into another room. Coral ignored him and as Henley grabbed Coral's pistol, shouting, You've gone too far. You've gone far enough, Dean. As Coral clambered off of Curly, Henley elaborated, I can't go on any longer, and I can't have you kill all my friends. Coral approached Wayne, saying, Kill me, Wayne. Henley stepped back a few paces as Coral continued to advance upon him, shouting, You won't do it. Then Henley fired, fired at Coral, hitting him in the forehead. The bullet failed to fully penetrate Coral's skull. He continued to lunge towards Henley, whereupon the youth fired another two rounds, hitting Coral on the left shoulder. Coral then ran out of the room, hitting the wall of the hallway. Henley fired three more times into his lower back and shoulder as he slid down the wall in the hallway outside the room where he, the two other teenagers were bound. Coral died as he fell. His naked body was laying towards the wall. Henley later would recall having shot Coral. The sole, the sole thought in his mind in the moments immediately thereafter that Coral would have been proud of the way he had behaved during this confrontation. I didn't know he had been training him to, to react quickly and forcefully as um, this was exactly what he had done. So they actually posted a picture of Dean Coral, um, his naked body facing the wall. So you could just, like, yeah, see where they shot him.
This is on Wikipedia, so yeah. Um, after he had shot Coral, Henley released Curly and Williams from the torture bird, and all three teenagers dressed and discussed what actions they should take. Henley suggested to Curly and Williams that they should simply leave, to which Curly said, No, we should call the police. They agreed and called up the uh, Pasadena Police Department and Coral's telephone directory. So, 824 on August 8th, 73, Henley placed a call to. Um, the uh, PPD and his call was answered by an operator named Velma Lyons. In his call, Henley blurted to the operator, y'all better come right here right now. I just killed a man. Henley gave the address to operators. 2020 Lamar Drive, Pasadena. As Curly Williams and Henley waited upon Coral's porch for the police to arrive. Henley mentioned to Curly that he had done that, killed by shooting other four or five times. Five minutes later, a PPD patrol car showed up at 2020 Lamar Drive and three teenagers were sitting on the porch. The police officer noted that the 22 caliber pistol on the driveway near the trio, Henley told the officer that he was the individual who made the call and indicated that Coral's body was laying inside the house. After confiscating the pistol and placing Henley Williams and Curly inside the patrol car, the officer entered the bungalow and discovered Coral's body inside the hallway. He returned to the car, read Henley as Miranda writes, and responds, Henley shouted, I don't care who knows about it, I have to get this off my chest. So you guys, if you guys don't know what Miranda writes are, this is what the Miranda writes are. So, people who, um, like, it's like something like people, like police say when they arrest you. So, like, you have the right to remain silent. Anything you say can and will be used against you in the court of law. If you do not have an attorney, one will be provided for you. I've written your Miranda rights, do you understand? This is when you get, you know, arrested. And you have to, you know, this is, uh, yeah, there we go. I think I, I kind of fucked it up. So you have, the remind, you have the right to remain silent. Anything you say can and will be used against you in a court of law. You have the right to talk to a lawyer for advice before we ask you any questions. You have the right to an attorney. Uh, if you cannot afford an attorney, one will be appointed for you. Ugh, fuck, I just fucked that all thing up. I can't read right now, guys. I'm like, I don't know. I'm excited because I'm almost done with this one. I mean, don't get me wrong. I... I I do enjoy reading serial killer stuff to you guys, but sometimes some of these cases get to you, and when you're at the point of dreaming about this shit, you're just glad to be, it's it's glad it's almost over. It's like the Casey case, I was having nightmares because of it, I wasn't seeing Casey's face, and then I was seeing pictures of the victims that were, you know, that were like, taken away, and once you start doing research and stuff about this, and you start getting like, you know into it and fucking consumes you <laughs> so i'm like as much as i'm glad this is like this is almost over i just can't read right right now plus it's it's almost time for me to go so um curly later told detectives that before police said officer had right to lamar drive henley had informed him if you wasn't my friend i could have gotten 200 dollars for you and that's where we leave off guys so tomorrow we are gonna be for tonight Thursday night, we will continue on with the last bit of the whole thing, including the um, unidentified victims, possible additional victims, incarcerations to trial, the indictment, accomplices, confessions. So what we all do know is all who the, um, the method of murder, weapons of choice, methods of choice, what happened to Dean Allen Coral? He was shot repeatedly by Elmer Wayne Henley. 
and, and you know, he saved two people, you know, in the process as long as himself. I mean, it's fucked up what happened. But yeah, one monster's dead, but the other two were still alive. Um, so with that being said, kitties, I am going to stop here. You guys have a good rest of your morning or good night if you guys are going to sleep. Um, be sure to share this podcast. Thanks for listening. Um, wear a mask. Stay safe. Don't take rides from strangers. And yeah, see you in the next one. Bye, guys. This is Odd Broad signing out. Thank you for listening to Odd Pods with the Odd Broad. Have a good one.